Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. But it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls, and it was like, you don't have to give us a ride. You can't fill us no. You can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. The thoughts were all alone in this empty point. You know, the head in the fishbowl. This doesn't look right. They got close enough where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look right. He's gremlin type creature. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris, three fingers, three long fingers. And this is when the mental torture and then, and then it was eerily quiet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Oh, we're rolling. <laughs> oh, we are. Yeah. <laughs> you just. <laughs> oh, wow! Thanks, Rob. <laughs> okay, we started off. <laughs> Took me by surprise there. <laughs> oh man, uh, Luke. <laughs> I understand that you're changing the world one step at a time. I am, dude. <laughs> yeah. My influence is strong. <laughs> well, I guess we should clear everyone in what we're laughing about. Uh, <laughs> Luke was uh, relaying a story. Will you tell 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 the world your story uh, from fourth grade? Well, there, <laughs> he he was talking about a a family member. No, who is he? No, no, I'm talking oh, okay, about you. Okay, like, okay, okay. Yeah, you you were talking about a family member of yours that's in the military, and right. And I told you the story about uh, fourth, fifth grade. We had a Marine come in, talk to the class, and, and uh, you know, he's trying to get people, inter- the kids interested in OTC and stuff like that at an early age. Fourth grade? Yeah. Wow, okay. 
but uh yeah just just to be dumb like i raised my hand and and, and asked have you ever killed a man <laughs> and did you you were like what 10 did you use that voice <laughs> yeah. did you ever kill a man well, it might it might have been later i, I guess i'd already like Started going through puberty or something. <laughs> but you probably did at 10. <laughs> but, yeah, he's kind of taken aback. And he's, he, uh, no, I'm not at liberty to discuss that. <laughs> Could you imagine being that guy? <laughs> you going in, you just, you're just like a Marine, you, you know, you, I guess you're a recruiter probably. And uh, you go in there and just some, <laughs> imagine just like stupid things these idiot kids <laughs> ask you. <laughs> Well, I imagine that somebody probably asks him that everywhere he goes, though. It's like, you know, I mean, what's a 12-year-old boy going to ask a Marine? Probably, probably by now, he's if he's still doing it, he's probably like, he's probably like, he's like, hi, I'm, I'm a lieutenant, uh, l- lieutenant, lieutenant Watkins, and... Uh, and yes, I have killed a man. I have killed a man. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, in the whole, cl- the whole class, like, they're all, like, doodling or writing each other notes or whatever, and... Playing well, we didn't have cell phones back then, but like, uh, you know, I got to be that one ass in the class. <laughs> it was me, like it was nobody else. You know? Well, I I think you were probably also the kid that would uh, like 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 th- that you would fart and laugh about it in school. Yes, uh, yes, that was. Yeah, there was this one time in math class. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was at the end of the year too, like so nobody. W- it was the assessment test or whatever. So like everyone had to be like d- dead silent, you know, uh, like no one was allowed to talk. Uh-huh. And I, it, it was right after lunch. So I'm just, I'm over there just <laughs> like rip a huge one, dude. Like the whole class hears it. It just like shatters through the silence. <laughs> and then <laughs> Luke is good at this, by the way. I, he's, he's good at perfectly timing his flatulence. <laughs> When we were, uh, when, Just save them till you need them. Or? When, we, right. when we worked together at uh, Biggie Frame um, back in the day, you know Heather, who everybody's has heard her on the show before. We had this uh, lady that worked in the front, like it was a little frame shop, and she was in like you know it's early, kind of early in the morning. It's like nine o'clock, and she's over there talking to Heather and. Lucas is hanging out. He wasn't even working there at the time. And they're just talking, you know, like, you know, well, how are you, Heather? And, and Heather says, well, she's fine. And like, well, it's just a good morning. And then everything just kind of goes completely quiet. And then from the other side of the room, you just hear. <laughs> <laughs> and every and time just stops. <laughs> I look, I look over to Luke. I start laughing, and then Karen—that's the lady's name. She said, "She said, uh, she said, child, what is wrong with you? Why are you even here? You don't even work here. You are just disgusting." <laughs> so that's a little glimpse into Luke's world. <laughs> yeah. So, guys, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. Uh, <laughs> already in progress, apparently. <laughs> well, we always miss the best stuff just before we start recording. That's true. So I'm That's just true. Start springing it on you. I said, I said right before that, I said this is the stuff everybody needs to hear, and, and Rob just hits record. <laughs> yeah. Well, a little mirth and merriment uh, tonight. We have on. I don't know why I always say tonight because like people could be listening to this any time of day. 
But anyway, um, it's not for us, whatever. We have on uh, Natalina from the Extraordinary, Pod- uh, Extraordinary Intelligence Podcast coming on. Um, interesting. We've done two shows with other podcasters. So that's very cool. Uh, so, Rob, how's things going, man? Uh, good. It's good. Not that I haven't seen you all day. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've been hanging out all day. <laughs> it's kind of awkward. Yeah, what's new? Um, I've been bumming your cigars. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Drinking up all his booze. <laughs> I don't do such things. No. <laughs> so you had mentioned indigo children. Yes. Before um, uh, we started. I just looked up the Wikipedia definition because I've heard that term for years and years and years. And and what did you think of that? Well, I've always thought it kind of referred to sort of like a, um, I don't know, I guess like an awakening of the soul prior to birth sort of a thing, like children being born more enlightened. Yeah. Like there's supposed to be this new wave of people that are going to take over and make everything better sort of thing. But I was just reading about it and it doesn't really say anything. Apparently it's associated with, apparently they're all alien abductees too. Ah, <laughs> nice. The reason we were mentioning is because, uh, is because Luke's, uh, an indigo child. Can't you guys tell? Uh, I think the audience can literally hear me rolling my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of children and weird things, um, I thought this was interesting. One of the things that I'm really interested in, just from a curiosity point of view, is past lives, especially children saying that they've lived before. Have you done any study on this, Rob? Looked into any of this stuff? Um, there's been a, a few really interesting cases that I've heard, and I don't know any names associated with them, but there was this one It was um, where the kid was pointing out like various aircraft and stuff, yes. and he knew the name of like this pilot, and he, and he could like recognize all the pilots. Like, yes. Um, the, I don't know. I guess people that were in the Air Force with him or whatever. That's the James that, Leininger case. That, that case is fascinating. Yeah, that uh, there's a book. I read the book about that called Soul Survivor. And basically the case is when this kid was about uh, two or three years old, he was starting to have these nightmares where he would say something like, little man fall down or something like that. And he would keep talking about dying in a plane crash. And in the book... His father actually goes and does some research on some of the planes that he's talking about. The kid came up with a actual style of plane called a Corsair that was a fighter plane in World War II and was used primarily in the Pacific Theater. Um, and it's kind of a long story and I kind of like to do like a more big in-depth topic on it at some point. But, uh, basically he finds the guy that he says that he was, he finds the guy's family. Uh, he finds guys that he served at even that this guy served at Iwo Jima with. Uh, so it's very interesting, very compelling. Um, there's Dr. Jim Tucker that's out there too. Uh, there was a show on, I think when it was, the biography channel bio channel was still on that we're talking about the ghost inside my child. And a lot of that was these kids remembering their past lives. Um, and it's always little kids. It's usually around about the ages of two to three. That's what I was say. It it's, always, it's always when they're really young and then those memories fade as they get right. older. Like that's the real consistent trend. Right. 
Um, you know, I myself have a weird, um, I think I've talked about it on the show before, but I have a, this strange memory in my mind. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know. I, I hesitate to say that it's a past life, but I do remember this like kind of almost like the aftermath of a battle scene and like a figure on a horse with a, with like one of those like old timey, like a Napoleon hat. I can see this in my mind. Like I remember this as a memory. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, my, 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 my memory is like I'm three or something. You know, that's my, my, my next memory and what I can remember in my life. So that's a very weird thing. I don't know quite what to make of that. You were Napoleon. I could have been Napoleon. <laughs> you never know. Or I was probably just some soldier that got trampled did, to death by a did horse. Your parents right. just, did your parents just have like a big picture above the couch of, of that scene or something? There's some like, speculation that the movie War and Peace could have been on TV, but I remember this in color, and my parents only had a black and white television at the time. <laughs> That I would have that, you know, if I was three years old, I mean, I don't know why they had a black and white television because color was was available, but maybe that's just what they had. I mean, <laughs> they they told me this, they t- they told me this um, that that they had a black and white TV at the time when I was little. So there's that possibility that it could be remembering something from a movie. So that's why I'm kind of like I don't know exactly what happened i can't really say that this like definitive proof that what, i lived before was a uh, war and peace the cake and meat music video no oh, okay no war and peace you know leo tolstoy the <clears throat> yeah i know you know this. resume <laughs> um, but i thought this would be interesting to kind of read some of this um this is the some of these these personal stories and i just thought these were kind of compelling um we don't watch firefighter things. These are parents talking about what their kids have said. My son told me a few months ago he used to be a firefighter, and we got called to a fire. There wasn't any family inside the house, so we just put the fire out. Then the fire truck caught on fire, and I died. A few nights later, he elaborated he was taken to a hospital where he died. We don't watch firefighter things. I was talking to my four-year-old when she began to freak me out. She was telling me a story about her other mother and that she died a long time ago on a Thursday. I tried to brush it off. You know, whatever. She's a kid. They have wild imaginations. But then she started to go further into detail about the death of her other mother, whose name was apparently Sally. She's never met anyone named Sally, and I can't recall any shows on TV she watches where Sally is a character. She told me that she was playing with her father's gun that she found and accidentally shot and killed Sally while she was walking upstairs. It's pretty weird. There are no guns in this house. I haven't even really told her but what guns are all about and how they can hurt or kill someone she's only four. I think I am beginning to understand now why when I try to tell her when someone dies, they go away forever. She tells me that, and it's not true. We come back, Mommy. My daughters did the same thing at the same age. She told me about her life when she lived before she was born and described herself as a woman with long hair who lived in an apartment with a long flight of stairs outside of it. She drove a VW Bug and wore long skirts. She then told me that she fell down the stairs and died. Her stories were startlingly vivid and always consistent. Quite spooky. She's now 19 and doesn't remember it. My advice would be write down everything your daughter tells you on the subject. Everything, record her stories if you can. 
apparently beginning around the time my friend could form sentences until he was little more than two, he would go on and on about how he was a Native American named Conchin, and that after his wife and son got sick and died, he moved to a mountain to live by himself with his horse. He died of a broken neck when he fell into a ravine. When I was two or three, I was talking to my grandmother and told her that my mom and dad weren't my real mom and dad. My grandmother, knowing this wasn't true, said they were. I calmly explained that no, my real mom and dad were killed when the bad men came. I lived because my mom hid me behind a rock. I then went on to describe white men with guns and us dark people with long hair. When I was done, I went back to eating my ice cream. My cousin, approximately three years old, and riding in the car with my mom and dad, pointed at a random house that they went past and declared, I died there. I did something sort of similar, I guess. When I was about three, my mom and I were driving over a bridge at which there had been recently been a major accident that resulted in a car bursting into flames and the driver dying. Anyway, I asked my mom who the man in the front seat was, and when she told me to describe him, I said, well, he's on fire and he keeps looking back at me. That's almost like a ghost thing. <laughs> that would scare the shit out of me. Every <laughs> yeah, really. I drowned. My mother told me about a story I told her when I was two or three. I told her she was the best mommy I ever had, to which she replied, I'm the only mommy you've ever had. Now, I had another mommy. I said that my older sister and I went out to a pond in the woods behind my house. Around the pond, all the trees were the same type, skinny with white paper like bark. I'd never seen a poplar tree before in this life. We put some logs together to make a raft, and I've and put it into the water to, to play boat captain and climbed aboard. The raft fell apart, and I didn't know how to swim. I tried to grab a log, but my hand slipped off. I could see my sisters freaking out from underwater. I drowned. My war memories. One of six hopping out of a helicopter into a field. It's hot as shit, humid daytime, two house buildings smoking and heavily burning straight in front of me to the side of the chopper, and there's firing from the woods and field to my right. It's chaotic. Noisy, lots of firing helicopters. My guys are firing back, crouched next to the back building. One guy runs out to the other building with a kid. He pushes forward and yells out to run. The kid gets shot from out of nowhere and drops. I see a few of my guys advancing from another chopper behind me, duck down in the grass as their chopper leaves. I crouch in, crouch in tall grass about 10 feet from my chopper, fire my rifle twice from just above the grass line, and my chopper starts to take off, and it's taking fire. I get to move forward, panicky, and am shot dead. I feel a hard thunk, see part of my chest explode, fall forward, go black, and zoom out above my body. I also do this later, still have pics, mom saved them. To me, it's clear as day still. Mom said some of my first chatter was about heavy fire, zip em, boys. I don't know what that means. And I would ask, where are the Ueys? I was born in the early 70s, and my family was not military, very anti, actually. I err on the side of thinking it's media news footage. I absorbed at some point from the Vietnam War, but I also wonder if it's not a past life dream. That's similar to what I was describing. So, yeah. What do you guys think about that? <clears throat> I mean, these are just kind of like snippets that somebody got from right. the well, message board, people talking about their own experiences. You know, part of me thinks that yeah, children are like really super impressionable. Mm-hmm. You know, they could just be near something and hear part of something and like incorporated into their entire reality. But on the other hand, there's so many of these cases that are just bizarre like that. Like the, the, the girl with a gun and like a gun. I mean, cause gun safety is something you have to really be taught and like have drilled into your head. It's not something like, yeah, you know, I was right. playing with this gun. I shouldn't have been and accidentally shot my mom. <laughs> like, you know, as a four year old, like that's, 
Yeah, that'd be a hard weird. one to, to to kind of come up with and generate on your own. I think as a as a child. So I don't know. It's it's bizarre. It's interesting for sure. There was another one that I heard, and this is kind of an unsubstantiated story. Um, supposedly, in Syria, back in 2009, there was a little boy that said that he was murdered, and he knew where his body was buried, and pointed out to people the guy that actually murdered him. And they dug up where he said he was buried, and there was a skeleton. But that's an unsubstantiated story. Nobody knows if yeah, that's an actual true snow- story or not. Before, yeah. Well, see, I tried to snope it, but there wasn't. I didn't see anything about it. Um, but the so that could be an, a, a totally bogus story. But there's plenty of other stories that just make you think, "What if? What's oh, yeah. going on here?" Even if it's not like you know, full-blown reincarnation, but just some, um, you know, some fragment of somebody's mind somehow infiltrating some someone else's, you know, some kind of psychic phenomena or some right. kind of something. You know, it might not have anything to do with souls. It might have everything to do with souls, but, like, it's just, I don't know. It's just fascinating. Well, you know, we had Tom and Jenny on last time, and one of their episodes on 13 O'Clock Podcast, they talked about these... um this couple that had twin girls. Yeah, I remember that story. And the twin girls died in a car accident. The mom hmm. was in the car with them, and they she survived, obviously, and then the two twin girls died. And the mom made these statements like, though they're, they're going to come back. And sure enough, she had twins again, which is kind Bizarre. of odd in yeah. itself. But this is apparently is a documented case. And the twins came back, and they could remember certain things from the the other girls. See, did. that that one, it's hard for me not to think that they, I mean, even if the mom did it subconsciously, wanting so badly to believe that this is a reincarnation, that she That's implied possible. things or said things or acted in certain ways that these kids picked up on and fed off of kind of thing. I mean, it's just, it's a really likely kind of scenario. Well, they were also bringing up in that podcast, they were bringing up, up epigenetics. And I don't know a lot about that. I think you know a little more than I do on that. That's like genetic memory type stuff? Yeah, genetic memory. Um, I don't think that would go from a set of twins to a set of twins. Because, I mean, the genetics aren't going back to the parent and then back to, you know, there's no lineage there right. from the twins to the twins. Um, but yeah, epigenetics, that's a whole nother, like, fascinating realm right i mean the whole thing about instinct like mm-hmm. how does an animal know what it is how do you know what like this that i was reading this study about i don't know what they were some kind of little microscopic worm like creatures or whatever but yeah. they were doing the study on how um they glow or whatever um i can't remember how it works but it has to do with day and night cycles or something and when they moved them into a colder environment um, it took them several generations to start um, adapting to, to how they glow or when they glow. And then when they moved them back out of there, I can't remember how, how it all went down. But it was, it was a really clear representation that the Gen X were 
it's not a learned behavior. It's a genetic thing that's changing that rapidly right. and being saved in their DNA because it's not, you know, this is not Darwinian evolution where mm-hmm. selective breeding is causing these traits. These traits are being passed from parent to child without being taught. Yeah, it's something else. Mm-hmm. Something else. The whole, the whole, um, I mean, I think the whole thing about Darwinian evolution of like natural selection, I mean, is almost becoming an old idea as we learn more and more about how DNA works and what it does. I think does. it's a big chunk of it, but I don't think it covers all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because there's that whole concept of punctuated equilibrium, even in evolutionary theory, where they say that things kind of stay the same and then something happens where, like, very rapidly things change. Yeah, it's it works in steps rather than, like, a slope. Right, right. So I think there's something going on with DNA too. And another interesting thing about that is, is some of these people that say, well, I was this person in a past life look similar to the people that they used to be. Like, what is that? (laughs) Maybe that's a psychological thing. Could be. It could be. They identify with that person because they look similar. You know, there's also this idea of like that it's not reincarnation, that it could be some kind of soul transference, that it's this person that is um, like maybe this spirit or ghost or whatever is inhabiting the child's body for a time and then leaves. That's another, there's a whole case like that from the 19th century where this girl obviously wasn't reincarnated, but she started to act like a girl that had died previously, but it was after the girl died after she was born. So it obviously was not her. I think this is the Lorancy venom case. Yeah. I've heard of that one. So she like saw the whole family talk you recognize everybody in this girl's family. They didn't know her, but she knew them. Uh, she lived with them for a while. And then all of a sudden one day she became her old self and went back to live with her family. Bizarre stuff. Totally. Which I hope to get into a little more with Natalina. With, uh, so we got to get her on. So, Luke, anything you want to add? Speaking to the mic, Luke. No. Okay. <laughs> That's what we thought. Hey guys, back on Conspiranormal. Uh, interesting little discussion there that we had about uh, Luke's tomfoolery. <laughs> and uh, we have on the line Natalina from the Extraordinary Intelligence podcast and also from the Pure Anormal podcast. And we met Natalina, Rob and I did, in Roswell. Uh, you guys heard our Roswell interview show that we did. Natalina had a had a part in there. I think... You might have been the second one that was on there. Rob rearranged it a little bit, so I can't remember what your your um, your order there was on that show. But um, how's everything going with you? 
Oh, it's going so good. Hi, guys. This is really fun. I just got done listening to, I think it was your last episode mm-hmm. with the guest who was talking about Ambrose Bierce. That was so fascinating. Yeah, I feel Walter like I Bosley. can't live up to that. <laughs> that was really good. That was like tailor-made for me and just the kind of stuff that I'm interested in. Yeah. That was so good. Well, you should check out some of his other work. I mean, the guy is like, he, he speculates a lot and he yeah. admits that he speculates. But uh, I think a lot of it is kind of healthy speculation. It it kind of helps me understand a little bit about like, especially the UFO stuff, mm-hmm. um, some of the airship mystery and what yeah, that could that. be. And uh, we've done like five interviews with the guy. Well, six if you count our Patreon only interview. So his Empire of the Will series is great, especially the first one. Oh, uh, I'm going to so have I to would, check it out because I was pretty riveted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um he comes up with some interesting stuff, some interesting connections, and uh, he's an interesting dude. Um, yeah, and it's such a like it's such a niche thing to study and mm-hmm. to focus on, like you know, uh, the literary works of of a person, and then their potential, like like Fortean or pre Fortean. I gosh, it was just it was cool. <laughs> if, if the listeners haven't heard that one, go back and listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to get kind of like your thoughts before we kind of get into the meat here about, you know, who you are and your your personal journey with a lot of this stuff. Um, what was your thoughts about Roswell, about the time that uh, that we had there? I thought it was really good. I um, it was it went by so fast. I was not able to take in nearly as much as I would have liked. I honestly would have really liked to take in some of the rest of the conference outside of the challenges part that we were more involved in. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really get a chance to do that. And I was a little bit bummed about it. I did uh, see Linda Moulton Howe and Nick Pope, but I saw every, everybody I saw was like at Applebee's. Yeah. (laughs) Applebee's is the center of town, man. I was was, like running into all kinds of like cool people at Applebee's, but um, (laughs) I I thought it was a really good conference. I thought that the speakers did really well. I particularly enjoyed um, like Dr. Heiser and I really, really enjoyed uh, Nick Redfern. I've been following him for such a long time. He is such a cool dude. I, I just, he's so, he talks about such far out things, but in such a reasonable way. Right. And I just really loved that. Um, I thought it was unfortunate that more people didn't seem to get the word that this other sort of challenges symposium was happening because I think it could have, you know, sparked some really interesting debate and conversation. I think that's like the one letdown a little bit that more people didn't know that that was happening. Sure. Um, but I thought I thought overall it went really well, and I think it takes a lot of guts to go to Roswell and challenge the UFO hypothesis. That was pretty awesome, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, guy, that's kind of like had been his thing. Like, like that's his mission in life mm-hmm. has been to go to Roswell. I mean, he's like lived there off and on, and I, I got to know him when he lived here. Um, yeah, again, so we became pretty good friends, and. You know, I, I really respect the things that, that he's done. And that was like, like I think, the conference of all conferences for me because it was just such a yeah. perfect mix of people. It um, really was. It was smart to do it where it wasn't all Christians and it wasn't all secular. There was mm-hmm. a nice mix because that adds credibility to the overall hypothesis, which is that, you know, 
what happened specifically in Roswell and maybe with the UFO phenomenon at large is not necessarily extraterrestrials. And it adds credibility to that conversation when you pull from different worldviews. Right, exactly. Yeah, so like for me, you know, I'm kind of like in the same camp where, you know, I, I'm, I'm familiar with all the kind of fringe Christian kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which I kind of want to talk a little bit about that stuff later. But then I'm also kind of familiar. I'm also very familiar with this other world where, like, you know, looking at it from like that non-Christian point of view, and some yep. of these other ideas that are out there. So that's why for me it was just like the perfect, the perfect conference. And then I got drafted to moderate the uh, the panel discussion. Yeah, you did a good job. You did <laughs> a really you. good job. And I think that the people that are like you and I who do sort of have that unique perspective where they've been, they can understand it from both sides of the issue. Um, I think we probably found it more fascinating than probably a lot of other people because, you know, if, for example, if your worldview has always been the Christian worldview since forever, and you've only really looked at the topic of UFOs from that perspective, you probably weren't able to fully appreciate some of the other things that were being said because you kind of have that thing in your mind Mm -hmm. that's like, nope, it's demons. I don't even want to hear this, (laughs) you know? Um, and, and vice versa, you know, if you've always been secular, then, then you, you have a hard time sort of opening your mind to the potentially spiritual aspect. That's why Nick Redfern was so cool, because he could actually perceive that there was potentially a spiritual aspect to this, even though he doesn't come from a Christian worldview. I, t- I think that's just so open-minded and reasonable. Um, I was really impressed by him. And then also Greg Bishop as well, you know, yes. looking at it, mm-hmm. he, he's looking at it too, I think from a spiritual point of view, but also from kind of like looking at uh, how memory works, how cognition works. Um, and yeah. Jack Brewer with um, all his... He was good. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that Dr. Heiser interviewed him for Paranormal, which I haven't uh, listened to yet. But uh, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about like... Um, your podcast a little bit about extraordinary intelligence. Um, sure. Uh, how long have you been doing that? Well, I started the extraordinary intelligence website almost 10 years ago now. And, um, it started as a completely secular endeavor. I was sort of just a seeker and I had this mind for, you know, I definitely had a supernatural worldview. I just didn't really have a grid for what it all means. And so I was searching and I wanted a community and I couldn't find one that I really um, felt comfortable in. So I tried to build my own. And that's how Extraordinary Intelligence started, where I was like just exploring esoteric topics. And um, I called it like a virtual cabinet of curiosities. And it was just anything on the table, you know. And it was like that for a number of years until I got saved. And then I switched gears a little bit, still talking about the same kind of stuff, but now through that biblical lens and and filtered through Christian my new found Christian worldview. But I was careful because I also knew I didn't know enough to really try to teach anybody anything. Sure. You know, it was more I was still in the exploring realm. Um, but I 
decided to do the podcast a couple of years later. I think I've been doing the podcast for going on three years now, although because my life has been so crazy, I'm only just about to publish episode 50. And I see people like blazing past me who like have had a podcast for six months (laughs) and they're doing like episode 200 now, you know? Well, they Um, must be really have a lot of time on their hands because we're not even at 200. We've been doing this for five years. (laughs) Well, I feel a little bit better. Yeah, I'm just about to publish episode 50. There's been, I was really gangbusters in the beginning, you know, publishing all the time, but life kind of slows that down a little bit. And so there's been big gaps. But yeah, the podcast has always been with my Christian worldview, but not exclusive of topics that would be interesting to a wider audience. You know, for example, I interviewed my friend Tessa Dick, who is the widow of Philip K. Dick. Oh, wow. Okay. And that to me was one of my favorite episodes because she just gave this, you know, I'm I'm such a geek about like literature and especially like dystopia and stuff like that. And and it was such a gr- really cool like bird's eye view into the life of this prolific author. And I got so much hate for that episode because, let's face it, she's really eccentric. Philip K. Dick was nothing if not eccentric. And there was a lot of crazy things talked about on that episode. But I'm like, why don't you guys want to hear this? You know, I mean, I don't know. So I do get a little bit of flack sometimes when I veer off into those those corners (laughs) of of weird high strangeness. But I like it. And I don't think that it's – I don't think that it has to be either or, you know, I don't think that because you're a Christian means that you can't touch these other topics. I think you should want to touch everything, don't you think? Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, for me, when I first started Conspiracy Normal, when I was, you know, because I, you know, Dr. Future is a good friend of mine and, Mm -hmm. you know, Future Quake was a big influence on me. And I was listening to a lot of other, uh, at the time, I was listening to a lot of other Christian themed podcasts like uh, View from the Bunker, Derek Gilbert Show, uh, a few others. And I didn't really, because I felt like that had been mined a lot. I felt like yeah. I didn't really want to be in that vein, even though I am still a Christian. But I didn't want to, you know, but I could still bring that into the table. But it's yep. just not, like, Conspiracy Normal is not focused on that. So I feel like in that respect... You know, I could be a little more freer to kind of have that audience that, you know, might not be mm-hmm. too mad at having like Tessa Dick on, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And I think it's I, I think it's kind of like as I've learned as this has developed that it is a little it is kind of how you brand yourself. And yeah. um what I love about conspiracy normal is that you do touch on all these different topics, but it's beautifully unhostile to the Christian <laughs> weirdo, you know, and, but yet at the same time, it's not hands off to people that come at it from a secular point of view. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that what happened initially when I started my podcast is I did brand it as this is a Christian show. And then when I wanted to touch on these different areas, which I still think are, should be of high interest to Christians, um, it, 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 some people didn't like it. By and large, people are open to it, which I think is magnificent. But um, I think going forward, I'm just going to try to be a little bit more, um, 
transparent that this is not just a show. I mean, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm not trying to do all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much that I don't know. I would rather just have guests on or talk about things that are just interesting. And right. if the audience, the audience, I, I feel like podcasters should respect the intelligence of the audience enough to say, look, okay, now take what you're hearing and filter it through your worldview and, you know, see where it fits and where it may be of interest to you. And, um, I I mean, I just feel like if you're a podcast listener, you should come into what you're listening to prepared to be challenged. Yeah. We, we get some, we got some weird things. Um, like we went back when, uh, uh, Rob's girlfriend, Alyssa would sit in on the show. We got this really weird email from somebody and it's weird how people will, um, focus on things that you would not even remotely think about. I think if mm-hmm. I slip up or maybe I used one too many curse words, that's going to be what somebody is like, Oh yeah, I can't listen to that show. But <laughs> yeah. I get an email. She had made a, she had made a, um, just an offhand remark about um, that she liked Pope Francis. She liked what mm. he stood for um, morally, mm-hmm. ethically. And this person sent me an email that said they couldn't listen to my show again because of my that that pro Catholic viewpoint about mm. the Pope. And it's just like, what a weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> thing like to hop that was on. Their line in the sand, right? Well, like, that, that was my point. You listen to 160 something episodes and then a remark by like someone who's just sitting in as a guest on one episode. That's, mm-hmm. that's it. All right. I know right. that's so crazy. And, and, and before that, the, the show right before that was Aaron David, where he basically was trying to, you know, his whole thing is kind of a mixture of, of Christian and occult beliefs and making those mesh. And I thought, okay, somebody's going to have a problem with this show. No, Alyssa says she likes the Pope, and it's like, oh, I'm never going to listen to you again. <laughs> so it's just it's just weird where people's mindset is, I think, sometimes. Yeah, it's like whatever their, their like niche line in the sand for heresy is, and mm-hmm. you just can't predict what that's mm-hmm. going to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rob, you're into – are you into Philip K. Dick? Are you into that um, his stuff, any? I like a lot of movies that were inspired by his books, but I've never read any of the books. Really? Yeah. Rob's a huge sci-fi fan, so. Me too. And the thing that's really interesting about Philip K. Dick is that he was so tortured and tormented. I mean, as as most <laughs> great authors and creators tend to be. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, yeah, he 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 was tormented by, you know, he thought God spoke to him through his bedside radio. And, um, he thought that he was like, you know, the classic targeted person with microwaves and stuff before that was even really a thing. Um, he, he was tormented terribly and, um, but it was during the times where he was under the most torment that he wrote some of his most amazing works like a scanner darkly and all those really amazing sort of borderline prophetic works of his um, came out of madness. Yeah. He went nuts. To think about. He yeah. went nuts. 
I mean, mm-hmm. like, are he are he ascended one of the two? I'm not quite sure what happened, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Tessa, you know, was his, he was married something like oh gosh, like I don't know, eight times. Mm-hmm. But Tessa was his last wife previous to his death right. when he was sort of in the worst of it. So she was there through all of that, and she was like considerably younger than him. I think she was like 18 when they got married and he was in his sixties. Yeah. Um, and so of course there was a bit of, uh, I imagine like grooming with her from him, um, to accept all of this delusion in his mind as reality, if it was in fact delusion, you know, so she kind of went along for that ride. Um, it's, it's weird, but it's interesting to talk to her because, you know, sometimes you never know what's urban legend about a person and what's real. But here's the woman who lived with him through all of it and like helped him write a scanner darkly. And um, hearing her talk about what he was like, what he was really, really like, is almost more intense than what you read about him. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. Mm-hmm. Let's get into some of your like how you got interested in these topics, like and maybe some of like your personal experiences. We did talk about one in Roswell, but mm-hmm. you know, how did you first become interested in like just this, this, all this weirdness that we talk about paranormal and all that? You know, I think it was just this innate fascination since I was a kid. I can remember, you know, getting home from school, you know, most kids, they would run home to watch cartoons or whatever. And I would run home to catch In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, (laughs) you know, like that was what I was into. My thing was Unsolved Mysteries. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Unsolved Mysteries kind of scared me for some reason. It's that creepy music. scared everybody. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It really, I had like nightmares. Here's the true story. So I was watching (laughs) Unsolved Mysteries one night and I'm sure it was one of their UFO abduction episodes. Yeah, those were scary. Terrifying. And I was laying in bed. I'm sure that I was like, you know, not even a teenager yet. I was a kid and I was laying in bed and the room was pitch dark. And all of a sudden I saw all of these lights like reflecting off of the walls in my bedroom Uh-oh. and they were rotating and spinning, but there, I, and I just heard like this humming sound and it would go and then it would get faint and then the lights would go away and then it came back and the humming sound and these lights. And I got so scared. And the thought that went into my mind was I'm going to get abducted and they're going to do an episode about <laughs> me on unsolved mysteries <laughs> and you know and i thought about crazy stuff like you know um is my room clean if the if the crew comes in here it was, it was just <laughs> this cra- i mean it was so it's so crazy i'm like trying to process all of this and finally i just got so terrified i went running into my mom and dad's room and i'm like dad there's a ufo outside and you know and so he got up and looked out the window and he was like, Nat, come here. And I looked out and it was a street cleaner <laughs> that was just slowly going up and down the street. <laughs> but that That's was great. when I knew I could not watch Unsolved Mysteries anymore. <laughs> were, you, was was your, were your parents, were your, was your dad like, you're not watching that show again? Like, yeah, I, I think stop I Stop waking been, us up. 
<laughs> might have been forbidden from watching it. But I, this, this fascination remained. And it was sort of this pull push between like just wondering and, and being like entertained by it, but also being terrified by it, but sort of being titillated by that fear. Yeah. You know, like when you watch Whitley Strieber's Communion, that movie like traumatized me. Um, oh, the book is kid. even the book is even worse. <laughs> yes. Yes. And and you know, it, it it shaped this idea in my mind that whatever these entities were, they're just like mean and bad and evil. And but yet, why am I so interested? Why am I so fascinated? So that carried through most of my formative years, and I I sought this stuff out. Um, and then as I got older. And I started going through different life things. I got a little bit more interested in sort of new age philosophies. And um, and so it was like I had a brain full of all of this weird high strangeness. And I was trying to figure out how it all fit into this material world. And um, I, I guess I can't really pinpoint why it intrigued me as much as it did, but it was just a constant presence in my life, reading every book that I could get my hands on about haunted houses and and watching every documentary about UFOs or, you know, like Coral Castle or, you <laughs> know, the Bermuda Triangle, anything mm-hmm. like that, anything that had that element of high strangeness, it was 100% in my wheelhouse of interest forever, I guess to this day, to be honest. Um, One thing about Unsolved Mysteries, real quick, was I -hmm. I was telling Rob this. I was like, looking back on it now, you kind of realize how cheesy it is. And, Mm -hmm. And like one of the funny things is like that creepy music. It didn't matter if they were talking about alien abductions or ghosts or like bank fraud. They still played the same creepy music. <laughs> I know. And you and as an adult, you understand that you were like manipulated by sound uh-huh. and editing and yet if you hear that music to this day, you kind of get that spooky feeling <laughs> like that brings you back to but it is so cheesy you're right there i think they put unsolved mysteries like all the episodes on amazon and i watched a few of them and i'm they're yeah. so cheesy but yeah. they're good looking back and on like it that now. show sightings and all of that you know oh yeah yeah so <laughs> you kind of moved on from kind of like that interest in the weird to kind of like mm-hmm. at a certain point embracing this kind of like the new age kind of belief which is yeah, honestly it, like a step that I really didn't take with this. But like I'm kind of interested in how you kind of got involved with that. Well, you know, it's hard for me to, to pinpoint which came first. But I think what happened was I started to struggle with really intense anxiety. Maybe it's from all those years of <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries. Um <laughs> Robert Stack will mess you up, I'm telling you. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing that exists today that I could compare to – well, maybe there is, ghost hunters and all that stuff. But anyway, um, I I just – I mean, it had this terrible anxiety that was increasingly getting worse and worse and worse to the point where I was having horrible panic attacks. So I think like a big part of me crossing over from researching things to actually trying to practice things was this pursuit 
to get rid of this anxiety that was plaguing me. Um, you know, that's when it started like really, really basic at first, like meditation, find your center, that kind of thing, you know, surround yourself in white light. Of course, you know, (laughs) (laughs) no, no square corners in your house, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, um, assume the lotus position, all of that. But, um, it got deeper and deeper to where I was like, Oh, maybe I'm just a star seed and all of this, like, oh you know, cause it kind of, you unravel indigo it. child, <laughs> of course, <laughs> because everybody who gets into that stuff eventually starts to think that they are super special and I can't just be a normal human. I'm an indigo child <laughs> and I am a star seed from the Pleiades, obviously. And um, <laughs> that's what Stan Romanek <laughs> thinks. Yeah, well, <laughs> do we want to talk about Stan? <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, it just really, really started to unfold like that. And I kind of went deeper and deeper and it got super occulty at some point. Um, and what I didn't realize then that I'm able to recognize now is that all of that was actually contributing to making my anxiety worse. As I was trying mm. to find, you know, inner peace. It was actually making it worse, and um, it wasn't until I got saved that that I made that connection. Where do you think you that know? was coming from? Where, where the where the, the turmoil anxiety, was coming yeah, from? Yeah. Um, I think it was a combination of things. One, on a really basic human level, I think I was just frustrating myself because I wasn't getting this release that I was searching for. Um, but also, I am not opposed to considering that I had been opening myself up to spiritual forces that were manipulating me and to going deeper and deeper into this. And, um, you know, the, the anxiety got so bad with almost no explanation as to where it was coming from that it did feel like it might have had sort of like a supernatural source as crazy as that sounds. It, it, it felt like, where is this coming from? Why am I being so plagued by this? Hmm. You know, the panic attacks got so bad, I thought I was going to die. I was in the emergency room thinking I was having a heart attack. Um, and there was nothing really to pinpoint why I was having these escalating episodes. But it got to the point where it was all day, every day, a constant battle to find a moment where I wasn't panicking. And I mean, I'm talking about getting reduced to like sitting in the corner rocking because I was so overcome. It got really dark. It got really, really dark. Now, along with that, did you have any other kind of like, were there any supernatural experiences that you were having at the time? You know, at that time, really not, um, not in any sort of real tangible way other than I guess what you could just say oppression, um, which, which I didn't recognize as such at the time. Um, but I wasn't really having any experiences that I can recall because I was so consumed by the anxiety. I couldn't see past it. It was 
the worst thing about anxiety, like real clinical, hardcore anxiety, is that half the time you're just anxious about the anxiety. Like it's a really evil thing because a lot of times you have a panic attack because you are panicking about having a panic attack and then you Mm. bring one on. Um, Vicious cycle. Yes, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. It's all consuming. So it's almost hard to see the the world around you. And I really didn't see I was, you know, losing friends. I was disassociating from everyone. I wasn't calling my family. I was isolating majorly because I couldn't see anything except this like veil of anxiety around me. It was it was a it was a really dark time. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, uh, I think it, it happens. It happens to more people than they like to admit. I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah, it does. So, when you, uh, so when you became a Christian, well, how did that happen for you? Like, what? How did that that moment occur for you? Well, it was it was kind of cool. Um, I have to say. So, the only thing that I could really bring myself to do during this time of anxiety was to continue to write. It was like my therapy. I've always been a writer more so than a podcaster or anything else. I love to write. And so I would, you know, drag myself to my computer and I would sit down and research things and try to write something interesting for my website. And it was one night where I was sitting at my computer and I was doing just that. I was researching I don't remember what, and um, but I wanted to write something, and I started to feel this panic attack coming on, and it got worse and worse and worse to the point where I was sweating. I had heart palpitations. My entire body was trembling from head to toe. It was the worst panic attack of my life without question, and I thought that was it. I really thought I was going to die, and I was crying, and and the whole time because I was in this veil of anxiety, my hands were still sort of autopilot over the computer and the mouse. And at one point I just had this moment where I looked up at my computer screen and I focused on what was there and it was a website or something that I somehow ended up on. And across the top of the screen were the words um, be anxious for nothing, but everything, but it, with everything through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will comfort your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Hmm. And having the supernatural worldview that I do, it was not lost on me that I was having a panic attack, and the words on my screen are saying, be anxious for nothing. <laughs> you know, like that was a really intense thing for me. How do I explain that? Like a synchronicity and, in a way. Yes. Yeah. And I I was blown away by it. And I, I thought about it for a minute. And I thought, well, I need to be open to the idea that this could be a message for me. I mean, I'm meant to see this in this moment in my life. And what I realized is that everything that I had been searching for up until this point in all of these different new age circles, whether it was 
meditation, you know, Eastern mysticism, Buddhism, all of this other stuff. It was all like, do this, 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 and this, and you might achieve enlightenment, nirvana, you know, inner peace, if you do the following things accordingly. And this was the first time that I saw— Exactly, exactly. Like you can have all of this, but you've got a lot of work to do, you know? And in this case, it just was plain and simple. Be anxious for nothing, period. And it blew my mind. And I ended up just sort of putting my head down on the desk and just saying, okay. Because, you know, I was raised Lutheran. My grandfather was a pastor. So I had a yeah, I was going to ask pretty, you that, what the background yeah, was. Yes, I have. I had an understanding of the Bible enough to have a framework to work from. I had just simply rejected it most of my life, you know. Um, but I said, God, okay, if this is you and this message is really for me right in this moment, then that's a pretty awesome thing because I need help and I can't figure out how to overcome this. And if you really truly want me to be anxious for nothing, then I accept that and I accept you and I will devote my life to you. And in that moment, it was all gone. It just left me. It just left my body. It was just gone. It felt like the weight of the entire universe just came off of my shoulders, and I was unburdened. And um, so the supernatural there as well. It was so supernatural. It was completely supernatural peace that passes all understanding. There was no rhyme or reason to it. It just was. And I just gave my life to Christ. I was like, that was it. Did you have friends in that kind of new age community um, mm-hmm. already? And then that, that were they, I mean, did you try to talk to them about what had happened to you or did you just kind of yeah. let it go or what, how did you handle that? And how you know, did they um, handle you at the time? I um, was so excited, you know, I was so excited, but what, by what had just happened to me and I, as like sort of the classic, you know, person gets saved story goes, I wanted to just go tell everybody, you know, and, um, some people were okay with it, but more like sort of like with a serious side eye (laughs) moment, you know, like, all right, she officially went too far. Um, She's gone to the other side. (laughs) Like, you know, like she finally broke. (laughs) She's broken now. Um, And, and there was, um, there was hostility from some people. There were people who just flat out, you know, the first article I wrote where I was like, you know, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. There were people like, okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this has been fun. Um, And, which I think is darn sad. But at the same time, if I'm being so honest, when I was on that side of things, I probably would have done the same thing. I mean, that's well, just true. It's amazing to me. And this is from someone that the outside looking in at the mm-hmm. new age community. I mean, they can be just as intolerant. Worse. As, yeah. Yeah. In many ways yeah. worse. You're right. Yeah. 
you know, in, 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 it just brings to mind, you know, one of the proofs to me, if you just want a sort of observable proof to the reality of God and Jesus Christ, is how hated Christians and Christianity are. We are supposed to have tolerance for everything and everybody, but the minute you say Jesus Christ in a room full of people who aren't believers, they ain't having it. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the Bible does say the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. And it's so interesting to me how in this community, you could come from almost any worldview. You could be a Muslim, you could be a Buddhist, you could be, you know, you could worship the Kalki avatar of Vishnu, you know, I mean, any of these things you could, hi, I'm from the Galactic Federation of Light and everyone's like, cool. Astar Command. Yes. (laughs) You know, you could come in with any of that stuff and you would be welcomed with open arms as a new and interesting person with a unique perspective and point of view. But if you come in and say, hi, I'm a Christian and I believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life, they want you out of there so fast. You know, yeah, and, and at the same time, is, you don't really want to have anything to do with those people anymore, anyway. If they're going to be exactly true, yeah, exactly, exactly true. But it to me, it just exists as this little bit of proof in my mind, in a sort of observable, tangible, real world thing that you can point to and say, why is it that people are so hostile to Jesus Christ, but tolerant of so many other things? You know, it's it's very interesting. And not to say that Christians are just right. a load Ex- of, you know, tolerant exactly. sunshiners. Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's my, next, that's my next question is now being from that world and then you're now mm-hmm. in the Christian world. Um, and, you know, we kind of talk about the same stuff. You know, I was very mm-hmm. into the, Christ, the Christian friend stuff for a yeah. good long time. I'm I'm less so now, even though obviously mm-hmm. I still believe in the core beliefs, which is what you need anyway. But yep. the um, when you look at kind of the Christian fringe stuff mm-hmm. that is on uh, the internet and on various podcasts, whatever, do you mm-hmm. see some similarities to some of the New Age stuff? Yep. In fact, so when I first became a Christian, all of these things that interested me obviously didn't just go away. I was still interested, and I just tried to research them from the Christian perspective. Same here. Right. Yes. And that's good. That's healthy to do. But I don't know that I came into it armed with enough biblical knowledge, you know? Um, And so... (laughs) Yeah. You're taking a lot of the people's word for it, you know, and I, I was kind of pulled into this uber Christian fringe um, community, which was exciting and and actually, you know, lots of really wonderful, encouraging people within the community. But I got so wrapped up into it. You'll probably notice, like my first ten or fifteen episodes of my my podcast are on topics related to whatever was the fashionable Christian fringe thing at the time. And, um, 
I have moved away from that greatly as I have matured and started to apply a bit more reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and and kicking and screaming, by the way, because I defended it for a long time. I defended it when people rose, you know, raised questions about some of my favorite people in the field. And what specifically um, do, you, do you have any specific cases that you could kind of point to? I think like, what broke me, what really broke me out of the Christian fringe, um, I don't know what you want to call it, what kind of broke me out of that whole realm, I'm trying so hard not to implicate anybody, but okay, (laughs) (laughs) because some of the people that I'm the most disillusioned by are people that I used to work for, like literally on the payroll, okay, so um, elongated skulls. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Uh, that whole real Nephilim, <coughs> right? Modern Nephilim mounds and all of that stuff. Like I really was intrigued by it initially, but there was always this thing in the back of my mind going, "No," <laughs> you know. But it was like exciting, and I, I, I really wanted it to be real because I trusted so deeply the people that were presenting it. I'll, I'll put it this way. Okay. Yeah. Um, for me, mm-hmm. the first concept for the whole aliens or demons thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, which in some ways I'm still kind of there and other ways I'm not, but mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing. So Tom Horn was probably my entry way into this yeah. really um, first time I heard him on coast to coast back when I had a subscription to coast to coast. Yeah. This is probably, I still do just so you know. Yeah. I, I let it lapse because <laughs> there's so many podcasts out there that are free. Yeah. I'm just like, but two t- 2005, 2006, somewhere around that period. And the first time I heard him kind of make this equation, I was like, wow, this is okay. This is, this is really interesting. And mm-hmm. still kind of from that basic point of view. And I was listening to other people like like Joe Jordan, who I think, yeah. you know, still, you know, I, I think Joe has, has has kind of modified his belief system a little bit in some of it. Mm-hmm. And, but like L.A. Marzulli was the big one for yep. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because and I just like everything that he did, I kind of followed. And that's, up, yep. that's how I got into how I met Dr. Future. Cause I went to, I heard, I saw Marzulli was speaking in Nashville at the last day's conference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actually Chris Putnam was there and Guy Malone was there. Dr. Future was there, you know, Tom Bionic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and when I, but really it was for me, future, when I started listening to future quake, I started getting away from that stuff more and more. Cause Mike was getting yeah. away from it more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of, kind of the weirdness. And yeah. it began to like, you know, I began to see, well, some of this stuff is just kind of similar. And Joe talks about this to some of the new age beliefs, you know. It's, like it's in a, striking and disturbing ways. Right, right. Exactly. The Nephilim, um, the whole thing about the days of Noah, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, you know, nothing against L.A. I still like the guy. Nothing against him. Yeah. I, I just think on that particular point, I think that he's he's wrong with the interpretation of the days of Noah verse. Because yeah. it's pretty mm-hmm. when you read it, 
if you're just hearing that coming from him or from somebody else and his interpretation of it, you think, yeah, he's right. Yeah. But then you really read yeah. the ver- you really read the whole thing in context and you're like, no, nah, that's not what. And when I first yeah. heard that, I was like, no, you're wrong. You know, I couldn't, mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I wasn't hearing it. But as I kind of matured, I was kind of like, yeah, that's not what it's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> And it's a hard pill to swallow. That's the thing because, you know, I got so invested in it and I had these people on my show and I, you know, wrote for them, you know, although I never really wrote about those topics, it still was associated, you know, and, and I was so invested in, and a true story is actually, I got in a big online fight with Joe Jordan one time because um, he was coming against all of these ideas and, and yeah. this specific person. And I was defending this person because I knew them on a personal level. And, and it got so heated that Joe and I like really were at odds for a while. And like this whole community that Joe sort of ran in were at odds with me because I was like, this girl who was just mindlessly defending what they perceived to be as nonsense. Mm -hmm. And I was indignant to be seen that way. And I recognize now that's exactly what I was. I mean, that's no wonder they were frustrated with me because I didn't know my head from my butt when it came to all of this (laughs) stuff. I was just taking everybody's word for it because, you know, I was this sort of newish Christian and, 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 and surely these Christian men who were so much older than me and, and so much wiser than me wouldn't be just, you know, so wrong. And it wasn't until I started really, you know, um, doing a lot of my own research and really um, getting behind people like legit scholars like Dr. Heiser and stuff like that, where you can really trust what they're saying because they devoted their life to understanding, you know, the Near Eastern languages and culture and and the intent of the original biblical authors, you know, I mean, and, and so that just sort of changed my whole perception of, of, things and it all just sort of blew over like a house of cards and and I was like nope I can't even be associated with this stuff anymore it's 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 foolishness and it it does smack of so much of this new age stuff that I had just been delivered from and um it it, it was a really hard pill to swallow and I, there were some hurt feelings. <laughs> I, I think in Marzuli's defense, I will say this, that he does come from the New Age background himself. Yeah. He left exactly. that behind. He became a Christian. And I think that he tries, to, in his ministry, he tries to speak to that crowd still. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, because he is kind of surrounded by that living in Southern California. That's mm-hmm. pretty much all you get. So, you know, I think for him, he he wants people to understand, like, he doesn't call the Bible the Bible. He calls it ancient texts, that kind of thing. Yeah, so, the guidebook to but, the supernatural. Right. So, but, so I think that you, that, that he kind of gets, he kind of gets caught up in that and he understands, like, for him and for the people that he's trying to reach, that's a more palpable thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for us at the and beginning, he does it, it was well. a more palpable thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, he does it well. And he does a great job of defending the faith in some ways. Like when he talks about how, you know, um, Christians 
are off track when they have this supremely unsupernatural worldview, and yet we believe in a virgin birth, and we, you know, in his whole thing that he, list of of supernatural things from the Bible that we believe in, and yet we don't want to hear about, you know, aliens or whatever. He does right. a really good he's, job. He's correct of in that, that respect. Yeah. He's he is one hundred percent correct, and I've quoted him endlessly on that because that is so true. Um. But I think somewhere along the line on the trail of the Nephilim, <laughs> um, I think that it just maybe obsessed him a bit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he just got too deep and didn't know how to pull himself out of it. And then there was the whole incident with the fairy and all of that. And, yes. uh, <laughs> and, and getting and getting yoked to Jaime Musan was like the worst, right? I mean – I don't well, know. Anything just, that guy touches is little <laughs> questionable at best. Um, he's got he's got his mummies now, so uh, they only have three fingers, Adam. It's right. clearly clearly clearly. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be it couldn't be sewed on and then covered with plaster. No, but no. Uh, but see that's see that's like that like kind of where that those two crowds mix because you know that like we talked about with Walter Baza, you know, that's being pushed by Gaia and, um, but the, you know, the elongated skull crowd, the Nephilim crowd can buy into that too. Well, they'll just look at it from a completely different point of view. Yes. Maybe it's a little more correct than the other view, but it's still not exactly. Yeah. Right. And really like I can present it as like, you know, oh, I got super educated about the Bible, or oh, I started surrounding myself with academia and, and Bible scholars, and that's why. But really, what it boils down to is I had to ask myself, how does A equal B? How does a X equal Y? In other words, how does this skull has a weird-shaped cranium equal Nephilim? <laughs> like, I never have been able to make that connection about where it just seems like such a leap, like here's this weird thing. It must mean modern second incursion Nephilim. Mm -hmm. And that's such a, it's, it's just such a leap that it, it just create, it, it requires so much biblical gymnastics to get to that from, from A to B. But once you've like firmly locked yourself in that paradigm, you can't go backwards. Like it would require such humility to be like, you know, that you're right. This is cradle headboarding clearly. And it has nothing to do with Nephilim. And I probably am not even interpreting that whole thing about the Nephilim. Right. I mean, it would just take such an act of, although I would love to see that. I think that would be amazing. I would respect that so much. Um, you know, you're locked into that kind of, that's where your ministry is. That's where your followers live. That's where your money comes from. That's, you know, it's all connected. Yeah. And yeah. It's that's the feedback rough. loop again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I don't mean to speak disparaging about anyone oh, because no, I'll tell you what, L.A. Marzulli was there for me in some really important moments in my life. And so many of these other folks have been so important to me. So I don't mean to speak ill of any of them personally. It's just that I had, I, I came to a point where I just, couldn't be down with these theories anymore. They, they weren't real. They didn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. Same here. Um, both from, in my opinion, for me, from both from a Christian point of view and a non-Christian point of view, mm -hmm. 
Let me put uh, Rob on the spot here real quick. He's yes. He's smoking his cigar. What do you think about some of this stuff, Rob? Um, like, you know, the, the Nephilim stuff and all that. I mean, I would. Uh, I I don't much. Yeah, honestly. Um, I mean, my background being raised Christian, and then falling away from it, and then basically falling away from religion in general. I just, I don't look around and I don't see aliens and demons anywhere. I don't see them in the alien world. I don't see them in in the uh, paranormal world. I just, because they're not on my, my mind, you know, yeah. at all. So, I don't know. For me, it's it's real easy to see that, that it's just a, a, a leap of faith for people that are kind of digging for that specifically. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a very good point. That's very well yeah. said. Very well said. Was there any other aspects of the French community that? Well, Luke, did you want to chime in? Because you're over here struggling. So, <laughs> man, you know, I I do believe in the Nephilim. I mean, I I just think they were a race of giants that are like now extinct. And you know, I follow like the science journals and the articles and everything, and I I see that they're uncovering. Uh, like the most recent one was uncovered in China. The most recent giant. And now, mm-hmm. okay, they, them as the people were shorter back then. Yeah. You know, they, we actually grew over time because of the interbreeding and all that. Right. The average height back then was like 5'4 or something. Yes. Like mm-hmm. super short. But, um, you know, and a lot of people will say, well, this is just someone from another race. That something happened there and he got buried in China, you know. But uh, apart from the giants that are springing up that the archaeologists are finding now, I still think that there was a race of giants at yeah. some point in history. I, I definitely agree with you on that one, too. Um, yeah. I guess my point in saying that they don't exist is that they're, they're not, I don't think, um, in the ancient aliens realm, Right. I, I don't see them. Yeah. And I can actually be on the same page with both of you on that because mm-hmm. I am not opposed to the idea of giants eat. There's a really interesting article because, you know, I'm from North Dakota. And there was a really interesting article printed in like the, the Pioneer Press, which was like the Bismarck newspaper from the 1800s. And You're there the was only a person artic- I've ever met from North Dakota, by the way. It's, it's not unusual to be the only person. <laughs> <laughs> It's ever so exotic, is it not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But there was an article printed in the 1800s where it talked about um, that they were digging for a railroad or something like that. And they uncovered what they considered to be a Native American burial ground. And they opened it up and they found these giant skeletons in it. And... um, I can't remember what the dimensions were, but considerably tall. Nine feet. Yeah, yeah. And then they asked the local natives if these were like their ancestors or if they knew who these people were. And they said, you know, the the chief said like, well, these people were here before us. And so that is eerie. And there's so much folklore and then actual – claims of of giant bones being found and stuff like that, that I do not have any problem thinking that there's something potentially true about that. I just don't think it's like the biblical Nephilim. Sure. You know what I mean? I just don't think that 
it has to be that. Agreed. It's like it's like some of the stuff that like well, for instance, you know, hate to keep bringing it up, but you know, Marzilli, he'll talk about you know, thirty-two feet people and and all this kind yeah. of stuff, and like, okay, nine foot, that's big, probably a good yeah. NBA player, but yeah, <laughs> but still, that's within the realm of of human possibility that there could have been someone yeah. a, a race of people that might have been that big at a certain point. Right. Um, well, and it's like Mike Kaiser says, you know, he's like, the reason that I know that the biblical giants were not like, you know, 30 feet tall is because the Bible gives you the dimensions of the people. It tells you in yeah. a lot of cases how tall they were. And it was right. like kind of tall, but not maybe only awe inspiring to people who were, you know, on average much shorter than we are now, you right. know. Um, because of nutrition and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, um, you could you you could make the case. Well, maybe you know you might be dealing with a different species because you know we have the um, what is it the the Hobbit, yeah, the, mm-hmm. uh, bones. I mean, these were these were little guys, so you know Very maybe little. there were big guys, and you know that could mm-hmm. explain uh, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, those those type of creatures. Even yeah. that that could just be like a like Rob talks about like a genetic memory kind of thing that we remember these, these beings once existing. Yeah. Living alongside of them. And yep. Yeah. And there's, there's tons of theories, you know, like, um, when the, the entire earth was more, um, uh, tropical in, in nature and everything was bigger. Dinosaurs, all the plants were bigger, you know, and, and, Who's to say that there wasn't this remnant of hominids that got really super big, too? I mean, there's so many different theories about climate having a factor and, you know, maybe whatever. I'm just – I'm so remarkably open to all of this stuff. And just going on the biblical text, I just see it such a leap applying any of that – to the very little that is said about the yeah. Nephilim. Yeah, I you know? hear you. So are you not like a young earth person? <sighs> You're just going to get me that's shunned a, that, from that's a, can, that's a can of worms. <laughs> okay, so I will say I know Chris way. Putnam was not. Yeah, I know I'm he not, was not married. I'm not married to young earth creationism. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, I, I don't require a young earth to maintain my faith. And, um, I think the earth could easily be billions and billions of years old and it just doesn't rock my religious world at all. I don't, I'm open to that, you know? And I, I also do think sometimes that people who base so much of their faith or their ministry or their research or whatever on something so insular, like the concept of a, you know, six or 10,000 year old earth. That's such a shaky foundation to base your faith on because it is going to get challenged all the time. And if that crumbles, what happens to your faith? You just can't, you can't be so dogmatic about some of these things that literally are mysterious and I'm so okay with things being mysterious. Ask me when, if I'm pre-trib post, I don't know. It's a mystery. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm so okay 
with things being mysterious and it doesn't shake my faith at all. Right. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I, I know plenty of Christians that are not the young earth. I mean, that's, that's kind of become a thing now, especially with, um, Ken Ham and yep. the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum and all that stuff. I just like, there's, there, there is this kind of perception that all Christians, uh, believe that the earth is 6,000 years old and that's totally not true. I, I mean, I, and now they, I don't now think they that's think it's flat too. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. The flat earth stuff. <laughs> I saw I saw a meme that said uh, that said the picture NASA doesn't want you to see, and it's an astronaut floating in space, and the like. There's like a Photoshop flat Earth in the background. <laughs> oh no! My favorite, my favorite flat Earth meme is the one where it's just like a picture of a flat Earth, and it says, "If the Earth was really flat, cats would have pushed everything off of the edge of it." By yeah, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's the funniest thing to me. <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy! I mean. Yeah. I don't know. It's some of this stuff is so troubling to me to be perfectly honest that it challenges my yes. patience and it challenges cuz you know I'm I'm a pretty peaceful person. I don't like to get in fights and it it makes me angry. Like I get I get like so angry about it. It's like I was talking to my boyfriend the other day. It's like almost sinful how angry it makes me. You know, it shouldn't make me this mad. But I see it <laughs> making Christians look like idiots and right. I see it making I see people making ridiculous statements like gravity isn't real and how if gravity was real then then a, a rock and a feather should fall at the same rate and i'm just like what are you talking about you don't even know air resistance <laughs> you don't know anything about anything and you're trying to talk about science like just stop it you know yeah, they, and, they do fall at the same rate in a vacuum in a vacuum <laughs> exactly and and Gravity isn't real might have been the straw that broke the camel's back for me when it comes to my patience <laughs> level. Like, flat earth pisses me off, but gravity isn't real, like, makes me so indignant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you know, here's the thing. This is a beautifully, wonderfully mysterious world. We live in this world that is full of weirdness and things we will never understand in our wildest dreams. But some things are just true and measurable and dang it, that shouldn't be a threat. You know, like it, the complexity of some of these things that science has proven are not threatening they're they they enhance my understanding of the beautiful complicated design that our creator has applied to his creation it doesn't scare me that gravity is real man <laughs> and <laughs> are 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 the sun revolves around the earth and yeah are they, are they, <laughs> i mean and people are so they're they're 
they're raging, man. They're just raging on this flat earth thing. Their, their fists are in the air and their faces are red and they're raging on it. And they're, they're basing it on YouTube videos that they've watched. They don't even know what they're talking about. And somebody said to me, well, you know, you know, Nat, if you would think about it for a minute, this is, um, Oh, gosh, I can't even remember the exact way that it was presented, but it was something along the lines of, like, I know it's going to be really hard for you to break your paradigm about the shape of the Earth because you'll have to admit that Galileo was wrong. Like, Galileo didn't have anything to do with the shape of the Earth. That was (laughs) <laughs> that wasn't Galileo's bag at all. Like, get your, you know, you can talk to me about Copernicus if you want to, but Galileo was about, you know, uh, uh, heliocentrism. It, it had nothing to do with the shape of the Earth. What are you talking about? This is, this is what I mean. You are so like parroting things that you hear and then trying to present it as if you're an expert. Do you know what I mean? People think it justifies their faith somehow. And that's what I was going to say. Like, if you have faith, why are you justifying anything? Isn't that what faith is? I agree with that statement 100%. (laughs) And when you have a non-religious person who can explain faith better than the faith community, we have a problem. You know, I mean, faith is so, so simple. It, 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 It doesn't require... All of these, um, you know, and 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 th- by the way, that's not to say that I don't have a heart for apologetics. I think apologetics are super duper important. I think apologetics should focus more on, you know, yes, we can prove that Jesus truly existed. Yes, let's look at the prophecies from the Old Testament and see how they've been fulfilled in the New Testament. You know, things like that. These historical figures, as mentioned, and, and battles, as mentioned in the Old Testament. Here's the archaeological evidence that that actually happened. So you can't discount that. You know, I love apologetics from that perspective, but at the end of the day, it's not required for me. It's not sure. required for my belief. Sure. And, 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 and challenges aren't scary because it doesn't shake what John 3.16 says about what really is required of a Christian. And, um, but as you can see, I get really worked up. I get mad because like... <laughs> Because I have such a low tolerance for um, ignorance, you know, I I don't want to be lectured about science from people who consider their education to be uh, the mass consumption of YouTube videos, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I just, I can't, I can't with all of that. And it makes me want to like close down all of my social media and so I don't have to see it anymore. Because it just, it frustrates me so much. And I'm sure that there's going to be people who, you know, um, want nothing to do with me after hearing me rant about this. But that's, if that's the choice that they make, then, then fine. But I mean, don't talk about things that you don't understand. And by the way, it is not that 
hard to understand that when the Bible seems to reference a flat earth, it's just speaking to the perceptions of the people of the ancient Near East and what they believed. It's not meant to be taken as scientific. It's just the biblical author talking to people in language that they will understand to talk about a bigger concept. What you're supposed to take away from that is not the shape of the earth. (laughs) You know, it's... Did you have a question, Luke? I'm... I'm certain still that they're all just trolling. I think that all the th- the flat earthers are. Uh, that's tro- a part of it, and, and not and uh, as far as like the the Christian flat earthers, I think that they're just like uh, contrarists. I guess is that a word? Yeah, contrarians. I like, call it the special knowledge sinkhole. I think that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the topics like ghosts um like mm-hmm. what your viewpoint is on that because you did relay a story that you've had an experience like that mm-hmm. and um i think everybody here has kind of had a weird experience like that um as well um like i kind of get your thoughts on that and then like also you know we we started off the show tonight we started talking a little bit about like children's past lives and that's one that i um personally re- wrestle with i know that chris, you know, like chris putnam i know he that mm-hmm. he wrestled with that as well so what's some of your thoughts about some of those topics well it's with to the to the topic of ghosts um i'm so boring because i just don't ever want to be like married to a specific theory. I don't know what they are, but I know that there's something from personal experience. The the haunting thing is a thing that happens. I've been haunted. <coughs> I I've experienced it. Um and so there's something there now. Is it a demon? Is it the disembodied spirit of a dead person? Is it an interdimensional time traveler? I don't know. Um, but there's, there's something happening there. And as the late Chris Putnam used to say that, um, the biblical worldview and the biblical texts are not inconsistent with the idea that a human ghost could be a reality. Um, because we have ample, we have examples in the biblical texts that seem to say that, there is this possibility of a dead spirit, you know, being being communicated with. And for that matter, the Lord specifically forbids necromancy, and God does not trade in nonsense, and therefore, why would he warn us against doing a thing that could actually be possible, right? So that's kind of how I look at ghosts. I don't know what what the nature of the thing that I personally experienced was, I tend to think that, because I I guess I did tell you this story, but I can give you the abbreviated version if you want to hear it. Yeah, sure. Um, So I used to live in this really old house with a bunch of girls and, um, we, it was really, really old, and I had – my bedroom was sort of a converted attic, which is adds to creepiness already. And I – there was one night where I was here. We all had lots of weird experiences in that house, but um, I was hearing a voice calling my name and – like whispering and saying my name. And, and I went to see if it was somebody downstairs yelling my name. I went to see if there was somebody outside calling my name. 
And it wasn't until I got near to the area of my closet that I realized that that voice was coming out of my closet, which is terrifying to this day to even think about. But then on top of it, it wasn't saying my name. It was saying Nancy. It was just in such a quiet tone that it sounded like it was saying my name, Um, but it was saying Nancy. And um, we actually ended up going and researching the house and Throughout its history, there was never anyone who owned the home for more than a year or two at a time, which is usually like red flag that right. the house is haunted, you know? Right. Um, but the very first owners were John and Nancy. The very first owners and the people who had lived there the longest were John and Nancy. And Nancy had died while the house was in their ownership. Um, or John had, I can't remember, one of them died during this while they owned the home. And so coincidence, possibly. Scary, yes. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that showed me that there's something going on. And um, what they are, I don't know, but I'm not I'm not opposed to the idea that sometimes the the dead could cross over and, and haunt us. I it, it doesn't really bother me. Again, it's not inconsistent with things that we see in the biblical text. What we are not told is that this is not possible. What we are told is don't seek it out. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, so I don't have a problem with it. I think my position on all that is is like you don't really know what it is that you're messing with because mm-hmm. I kind of have this idea that if we're going to be communicated with, it might usually be in a dream kind of a state. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely had that experience before, but in so many of these things, you never know exactly what it is that you're actually, you may actually be dealing with. You may have a yeah. good guess, but you essentially really don't know. You don't know, and you don't know if you're being manipulated. You don't know what's going on. I, m- I mean, my best advice to people is to not seek it out. Yeah. <laughs> don't go looking for it. Um, and there's plenty of people that do that. Of course. Because they want to know. Like, they want to understand. It's a super trend right now to try to seek it out. And I get it from a certain point of view because I get like this quest for understanding because, you know, there's statistics that show that something like 70 or 80 percent of the population believes in ghosts and UFOs on some level. So that either means that er almost everybody has either seen, experienced or simply reasoned their way into believing that something like this could be real, you know, Um so, I mean, I understand the impulse to try to seek it out. I just personally wouldn't advise it. Um, but, What's you know. thoughts on the reincarnation? Stuff? It's that is so. Okay. So, I will say unequivocally just so that people don't say like, wow, first she came out of the old earth closet and now she's coming <laughs> out of the reincarnation sure. closet. I don't believe in reincarnation. I do not. Um But I do believe that there are instances, especially with children, man, that's where it really gets me, um, where there there is something happening there that these kids know things that they shouldn't know, right? I mean, it's it's how – why are they saying these things? I I, I watched it – I actually wrote about – 
instance, the boy who lived before on my site, like years and years and years ago before I was a Christian. And, um, he's yeah, the one we, I think he's James Leininger. I think we talked about that a little earlier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where he, I think it's like from Ireland or, or something like that. And, um, he knew things about, uh, real people and real past things that he should, he had no business knowing. Yeah. And, that is that trips me out. And yeah, Chris Putnam struggled with that a lot. He I I received countless emails from him like, how do we explain this? What 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 is this? You know? And he was di- I, I believe that had he lived, had he had he been able to write another book or present yeah. further research, that would have been a topic that he would have really tackled because it really fascinated him. I do believe that the side he ended up coming down on was that the likelihood was um, either like a demonic manipulation um, or now this is really interesting. And we talked about this. This is, this is where I come at with it now. Now bear with me. So we talked about this a little bit on paranormal. Um, which is a show I do with Dr. Heiser. And we take these really strange supernatural things and we look at them through academia. We take peer-reviewed journals and we we discuss these. T- There's nothing too weird that legit scientists haven't looked into it and written an re- article about it. It, it. It's amazing what's out there. But we were talking about – the way we got on the topic is we were talking about people who have uh, organ transplants and whether or not – like if you receive a heart from somebody else, if you will suddenly start taking on some of their characteristics, if you will have some of their memories. It's this whole idea of like yeah, cell memory. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Yes. And and when we were talking about that, it's it brought to my mind this question that Chris Putnam was struggling with, and in an instant, it just clicked to me that that could potentially be an explanation because Dr. Heiser brought forward this concept that there is also um, evidence to suggest if cell memory could be transferred through DNA mm-hmm. and genetics, and I'm like, if that's the case, then how 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 do we know that this person doesn't have sort of this latent cell memory from their ancestors or do you know what I mean? Like it could be something explained that way. And as we were sort of unpacking that, and it's hard for me to explain without the journals in front of me, but as we were unpacking the evidence that does suggest that that cell memory could be something passed genetically, um, it opens up this realm of possibilities that if people are able to perceive some of these things, they think they're their own memories, but it's more of a, um, uh, uh, an echo from an ancestor or something along those lines, whose DNA they're carrying. I find that to be tripped out and fascinating. I think that's so cool, you know, and again, that doesn't challenge my faith at all. If that's a thing. Yeah, you know? I, I've often wondered too. We were talking about it at the, at the first part of the show or intro part, and talking about how you know there could be maybe some mild form of possession, or maybe like tapping mm-hmm. into some kind of um, into some kind of uh, 
world consciousness or into some kind of information. I think there's mm-hmm. other ways to possibly explain it that don't include the past life thing. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, the whole past life concept, it's not just like, um, it, it, it is an old concept. I mean, there's still mm-hmm. billions of people on this planet that believe it in one form mm-hmm. or the other. So it, it just it just fascinates me, and it's one of those things that I like because I can't put it in a nice, tidy little box. I think that's so good for people to be challenged that way. Yeah. And I also encourage people to not feel pressured that they have to come up with an answer that works for them in order to defend their faith. Once again, it's fine to say, well, that is stinking mysterious, right. <laughs> you know, and and not be troubled by it and just say, we live in a really weird world and there's some really mysterious stuff. And that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I think people lose sleep over stuff like that because they can't just compartmentalize everything into, you know, this fits into explanation A and this is explained away by this. Don't fret about it. Is, <laughs> that, the, is that the cat that I'm hearing? Oh, that's Solomon. Yeah, he's really, <laughs> really mad at me because I um, wow. broke. <laughs> He and I are at odds right now because I might have torn the end of his tail off, but I can explain. (laughs) I may or may not have skinned his tail, but see, he was, he has this thing where he wants to run outside and where I live in Arkansas now, there's woods directly across from where I live and he's an indoor cat his whole life. He's seven years old. And so can't defend himself. He's 25 pounds. He's extremely overweight. He is not fit for the wilds of Arkansas. And so I tried (laughs) to get him to not go outside. And so he was trying to get outside the other day and I hurried up and slammed the door to try to stop him from getting outside. And I slammed the door (coughs) and he had just snuck out, but I saw the edge of his tail on the inside of the door And so I hurried up and I opened the door and he came running back in and he was flipping out and this little bit of his tail fell to the ground. Now, this sounds horrible. (laughs) It kind of is. But um, what happened was it literally just like pulled the skin, like pulled the hide off the tip of his tail. It wasn't like his tail actually broke off. But – excuse me. It ended up exposing like the very tip of his tail (laughs) – which is so nasty. I'm like, I really wish this hadn't happened because my beautiful, wonderful cat kind of grosses me out now. (laughs) (laughs) It'll grow back. (laughs) Yeah, it'll grow back. I can't wait for that. I'm having to apply Neosporin to it right now. It's this whole thing. Anyway, he's he's mad. Cats hold hold grudges (laughs) for the rest of their lives. (laughs) Yes. He's, I mean, no matter what, he can always be like, remember that time you chopped my tail off? (laughs) Right. Exactly. He'll, He'll just scratch you or bite you in the middle of the night. Uh, yes. Natalita, uh, kind of running out of time, but what's yeah. next for you? Uh, expect to hear more podcasts, hear you both on uh, ex- your own podcast, Storming Intelligence and Paranormal. Yeah. Well, so I've got brand new episodes of Beyond Extraordinary Radio in the works. And then I've got a whole new podcast that I'm working on called Singulari Historia, where we're going to talk about all this weird stuff that we're all so fascinated about. And I'm going to present it more in a narrative form without a guest. 
do the research, write a script, and present it as a story. I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. Nobody reads anymore, so (laughs) I'm going to try to do it that way. And then Pure Normal is the show that I do with Dr. Mike Heiser, and um, uh, other guest hosts are like Doug Overmeyer, Mm -hmm. Brian Gadawa. We've had Brian on um, the show. Yes, Brian is such a fascinating dude and really, really nice and 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 uh, talented. And then uh, Pastor Doug Van Dorn and we, as I said, we talk about really wild out there stuff like psychic pets and you know vampires, but we only discuss them based upon peer-reviewed academic journal entries by legit scientists. And then we weigh whether or not this is a real thing based on the scientific evidence. And that's such a cool approach to me. Um, It's something that I believe, although we keep the biblical worldview intact, everybody who's on this show is a Christian. I do believe that it's a show that everybody would be interested in because there's not a ton of speculation involved. It's literally like, here's what the science says now, do we accept it? You know, it, was this experiment carried out in a legitimate way? Um, so that's what that show is. You can find it at puranormal.com. You can find my show at extraordinaryintelligence.com. I imagine I'll have shows published within a few days from the time of this recording. So um, I'm really excited to get back to work because I miss it a lot. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And we have a special treat for you tonight. We don't, Me? We don't do this. You're the only guest we're going to do this with. Oh Maybe gosh, there might I'm be so more. Excited. We might start this as a pattern. But you're going to close. You you're going to literally close the show out with us. So get Woo! ready to scream the conspiranormal. Uh, Rob, uh, well, first of all, I want to thank Luke for being here. He's been really good lately. He's been coming to every show just about. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I just didn't want you guys to kick me out. <laughs> yeah, because you, you love it here, man. You know, I Aww. mean, he's got to have his comfortable couch to sleep on. I yeah, mean, come right. On. <laughs> my, my couch at the house isn't even this cozy. <laughs> Rob has some comfortable couches. <laughs> oh, well, that's how I choose my friends. <laughs> that's how I make my furniture. friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and Rob, of course, thank him for doing what he does and, you know, doing these double uh, episode nights that we've been doing lately to get caught up. So, Rob, tell everybody about Patreon again and all that good stuff. Yeah, we've got our growing community over there at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Uh, there's different tiers if you want to contribute and help the show. You can do that. There's bonus episodes. We've got, we decided seven or eight of them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be new ones coming you know, real soon. And yeah, check it out if you want to help us out and if you want a little bit extra. Yep. Send us money. We like that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Guys, thank you so much, and uh, we will be back um, next time with another great guest on Conspiranormal!
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.